All right, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Now, when we began this book, I stated that, without a doubt, this is the most theological book uh, in the New Testament. Um, that being said, you will not find me just uh, cruising along and teaching large chunks of Scripture. Uh, most of you know I don't necessarily do that with any book of the Bible, um, but certainly I don't do that in the book of Romans. The last thing I want to do is to simply skim over the Scriptures and therefore miss out on some uh, very important details. Now, I remind you of this because in the last couple of Sundays, um, we've only gone through four verses in the last two Sundays. That is a total, by the way. But uh, So if you're someone out here who has the need for speed, I encourage you to take a deep breath and uh, enjoy uh, the intricacies of uh, studying the Word of God. Now, in saying that, let me just spend a few minutes, and as I always do, I want to make sure we do a review of those four verses so as to give us the context as we will be picking up this morning in verse 5. Now, as you know, Paul came into this chapter, chapter 6, a little bit on the defense. Since Paul's salvation message begins with the amazing grace of God, he knew that he would have some detractors who would say that with this focus on God's grace, that he was rejecting or that he was dismissing the moral law of God. In other words, they say that, that Paul had this attitude of just do whatever you want because God's grace will cover it. Well, because of this, Paul began here in verse 1 by putting that question out there. He knew they had that question. So he put it out there himself, and then he answered it. Look at verse 1, and then just the very beginning of verse 2, Paul asked the question, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That was the question he knew they were going to ask. But his answer is, by no means... Or actually, a better translation of that is absolutely not. Okay? Paul is categorically denying that thought. Matter of fact, in the Greek, it's, it's such a strong declaration of rejection. Most commentators say that Paul is literally disgusted by such thinking. The thought of a believer living in sin in order to take advantage of the grace of God, they say, was abhorrent to Paul. And that's why continuing his answer, as you go into verse 2, he, he says, we died to sin, right? Their question was, well, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Absolutely not. We died to sin. Now, he's not saying that, you know, from now on, that we, we're now going to be going on sinless when he makes that statement. He's saying that the power of sin is no longer dominating our lives. We no longer have to live in sin. It, sin no longer governs our everyday lives. When you and I placed our faith in Christ, when we surrendered ourselves to him, an internal transformation took place. 
our old self died. Okay? And that's why he finishes verse 2. He's talking about sin. He finishes verse 2 saying, how can we live in it any longer? Right? We've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In other words, believers cannot live in sin if they've died to it. That doesn't make any sense, right? Especially when you think of verses like 2 Corinthians 5.17. We are new creations in Christ. We're not a better who we used to be. We're new. Our old self has died. Matter of fact, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says we are now partakers of the divine nature. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it reminds us that we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's talking about believers here, by the way. No, he's talking about Israel. A people belonging to God that we may declare the praises of him, listen, who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. See, we are not who we once were, period. And then expanding on this thought of us, uh, of how we were, uh, we died, if you will, or the, the, the thought of us dying, Paul goes into verses 3 and 4 discussing how uh, all this works out in this, uh, this deep connection, this union that we have with Christ. Look at verse 3. He says, don't you know? that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, you might remember this. I hope you do. That word baptized there has nothing to do with water. I like how one pastor says, it's a dry verse. <laughs> okay? It has nothing to do with water. The Greek word there is the word baptizo, and it simply means to immerse, okay? Today we might say that a person is immersed in their work. Well, once again, that statement has nothing to do with water, okay? Now, if you want to take that uh, uh, further, the root word of baptizo is the word bapto, in other words, that's kind of going back a little bit, okay? And the word bapto has to do with identification, okay? So back in the day, back in the first century, they would take a white garment, okay, and they would immerse it, dunk it all the way under into a vat of dye, okay? Let's just say it's purple dye. When they pulled that garment out, that is now a purple garment, Okay, that color is now identified with the garment. It's 100% purple. It's been completely immersed. It is now identified with that color. It is now a purple garment. Okay, so we can say at the time of our salvation, we were immersed into Christ Jesus to the point that we are now fully identified with him. Okay, And sometimes in water baptism, we use that as symbolism, right? For those of you who have been baptized, you see that symbolically through water baptism. 
Okay, but we have a union. We have literally a oneness with Jesus Christ that is so strong that what he did for you and me was as if we did it ourselves. See, notice here in verse three, Paul says we were baptized or immersed into his death. Okay, now, even though you and I obviously did not physically die because we were immersed into Christ, because we were identified with Christ, God looked at his death as if it was you and me on that cross. Okay? That's how closely identified we are with him. When he died, he says, we died. Okay? And of course, he didn't stop there. He goes into verse 4, and he says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He says here that Christ died, Right, We know that he was buried and that he rose again from the grave. Okay? He did those things for those of us who would place our faith, our trust in him. Okay? Paul said back in, in chapter 3, verse 25, that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay? But spiritually speaking, if you will, Because we are identified with Christ, because we are, as verse 3 says, immersed into Christ Jesus, it's as if we participated in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Okay? God has accepted it, right? God was propitiated. Remember that word? God was satisfied with what Christ did for us. God has accepted it as if we did those things. As if we died, as if we were buried, as if we rose. See, don't ever forget that word, substitution. The substitutionary atonement. And listen, folks, even though one day, even though one day you and I will rise again physically, that will happen one day, okay? As Christ himself is the first fruits, right? We, we know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says here in verse 4 that because Christ rose from the dead, notice what he says. He says, we too may live a new life. Now, sure, there's no question that will happen one day in the future. We know that. But he's talking about right now. We can live a new life right now. That word there, Uh, New, or maybe some of your translations use the word newness. It's the Greek word kainates, and it means a renewal, okay? It's not simply some uh, experience that's similar to the past, but it is is qualitatively, qualitatively talks about a quality, okay? But a qualitatively different life. A different life. Folks, that statement is what's now going to push us into what you and I know as sanctification. 
You might remember from last week or maybe even the week before, I mentioned how the first five chapters of this book, Paul talked about justification, how we are made right with God, right? And how chapter 6 through chapter 8 is going to be dealing with sanctification, okay? And we're going to begin to see that right now. If you're with me, look at verse 5. If you're not with me, look at verse 5 anyway. He says, if we have been, okay, actually stop. If you have the word if there, put a line through it. It should not say if, it should say since, okay? If, the word if um, is, is a maybe, right? If, that's not it. This is assumed to be true. It is true for that matter, okay? It's not a hypothetical if. It says, since we have been united with him. We have been united with him, right? So it shouldn't say if, it should say since. So let me, let me read it. Since we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Now, as you can see, Paul is, is uh, re-emphasizing some of what he already just discussed in verse 4, using it kind of as a, as a springboard as he deals with the issue of sanctification, okay? What is sanctification? It's talking about living a holy life, okay? Remember, folks, sanctification is the process of being made holy, okay? Just as sin characterized the old you, right? Righteousness should portray the new you, okay? Notice here, in verse 5. As I stated earlier, by the way, in verse 3, first of all, what does he say? We were united. We were united with Christ in his death, Paul says. Now, the word united is, it's interesting, it literally means to be planted together. It means to be planted together. Kenneth Wiest, in his uh, Greek word studies, he says it means to grow up together with. It speaks of a living, vital union, he says, of two individuals growing up together. He said the word could be used of Siamese twins whose bodies were connected at one point and whose blood stream flowed through two physical bodies as it does one normal body. Okay? Uh, one of the words that came to my mind was homogeneous, right? We don't use that word all the time. Homogeneous. It literally means of the same kind, right? That's what he's talking about here when he says we are united with Christ in his death. Now, as I mentioned earlier, that makes sense because I said we have this union, if you will. We have a oneness with Jesus Christ that is so strong that what he did for you and me, as I said earlier, was as if we did it ourselves. We have, as he says, we have a oneness in Christ in the likeness of his death, Paul says. Now, as I said prior, 
We didn't physically die. That's a no-brainer. We know we didn't physically die. Christ died for us. He was our substitute. He died in our place, okay? But being, as Paul says here in verse 5, that we are united with him in his death, that means our former corrupt and depraved self died and was buried with him. It's not just some cool thing. Hey, we died with Jesus in our death. Okay, well, what does that mean? That means our old self, our depraved self, uh, we talked about earlier, that, that reprobate mind you see there in Romans chapter 1, it died with Christ, it was buried with Christ. And that, of course, brings us back to Paul's earlier statement from verse 2, where he said, we died to sin. Right? Similarities there. That was his response to those who think that you could just live in sin and allow God's grace to cover it. Remember what Paul said? Absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Once again, it doesn't mean that we will never sin again because we died to sin. It means our lives are no longer dictated by a lifestyle of sin. Okay? And the reason for that, still in verse 5, I'll read it all. Since we have been united with him like this in his death, now what does he say? We will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection, it goes without saying, right? We died with him. We raised with him, see? Now, let me just begin here by saying, without question, just like in verse 4, our physical bodies one day will rise, just like Jesus's did, right? There will be the time of the resurrection. Our physical bodies will rise one day. There's no question, Okay, but it goes further than that. Okay, Paul is taking it further than that at this point in our context. Okay, as we're going to see in the many verses to follow, he's talking about our new life in Christ that is exemplified through our daily living. Hence the term sanctification, right? It is exemplified through our daily living. Notice the connection, by the way. Notice the connection with the previous verse, verse 4. Just drop back to verse 4. He says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He corresponds Christ's resurrection with us living a new life. Okay? Our daily walk, folks, and we're going to see this for a couple chapters, our daily walk is the evidence. It is the evidence that we have died and that we have been raised to a new life with Christ. It's not just something we check a box on. There's going to be evidence of that, right? If you died with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, you're not who you used to be. Verse 5 says, as we are united with him in his death and in his resurrection, MacArthur says, our old life died, so a new one was necessarily born. That's how he's looking at it, which most people do. 
Theologian Albert Barnes says, As Christ rose from the grave, so shall we rise from sin. Once again, because he's talking here in the here and the now, not necessarily what's going to happen in the future. It will happen. But what's going on in the here and the now? See, I quoted, I believe, uh, last week, uh, Galatians 2.20. Many of you know that. What does Paul say? I have been crucified with Christ. But then he goes on to talk about how his life is different. See, he says, I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I died, but now look at me. Look, what, look what's going on through my life. See. Well, Paul continues. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Here's why. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Anyone who has died or been crucified, however you're going to look at it that way, has been freed from sin. So here, as I read this, we, we, we kind of see here a, a separation of persons, okay? First, there is the old self, right? The old self, you'll see that Paul connects it with the body of sin, that which he says used to be, was a slave to sin, right? Now, Paul is, 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 is speaking clearly of the person that we all were before we came to faith in Christ. He's talking about our unregenerate self. Okay? That person is described in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, as powerless, as ungodly. Right? Two verses later, that person, us, <laughs> was described as a sinner. Two verses later, in verse 10, we were described as an enemy of God. Right? You guys remember, I mentioned a minute ago, Romans chapter 1. Man, a lot was going on in Romans chapter 1. But if you were to go all the way back to there, we were described as godless. We were described as wicked. We were described as depraved. I mean, you name it, there is a list of things. That happens when one lives with a reprobate mind. Now, please understand, the typical non-believer takes offense at being called all of those names, right? Wicked or evil or depraved. They take offense at being called those names because they don't believe that it describes them. Why? Because they spend all of their time comparing themselves with other sinners. Right? That's all they do. They compare themselves with other people. Okay? And when you do that, you always come to the conclusion that you're a pretty nice person. You're pretty good compared to them and them and them. And I'm a, I'm a pretty decent person. But the standard isn't some other sinner. <laughs> That would be easy for everybody. 
The standard is who? God or Christ. Therefore, all of us were wicked. All of us were depraved. We lived a life that was in total opposition to God. We all loved sin. Sometimes we actually indulged in it. You know why? Because that's who we were. That's who we were. We knew no other way. Okay? No matter the sin, that's what defined us. But on the flip side, Paul speaks of someone else. Now, this is the same person physically. It's a different person spiritually. Okay? This person, he says what? This person was crucified with Christ. Do you see how he does that? Here's the old you. Here's the new you. This person has been crucified with Christ. They are no longer a slave to sin. Why? What does he say in verse 7? Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Freed from the life of sin. Freed from habitual sin. Okay? Once again, folks, Paul is describing a transformation. A transformation took place. He's talking about the old self, and he's talking about the new self, or the new man, the old man. Okay? The old self being crucified with Christ is the same as verse 2 saying we've died to sin. Right? Sin doesn't dominate our lives like it once did. Now, folks, I don't know about your life, but I do know that for myself, before I came to faith in Christ, I was definitely a slave to sin. I was a slave to immorality. I loved sin. I did. I loved it. I thrived in it. I looked for ways to expand my sin. What's next? It's like a gateway drug. Okay, now that I've done A, B, and C, I can now do this. What's, what's next? I wanted more sin, bigger sin. As I've stated uh, to some of you in the past, you, you give me time to think, okay? I wanted to sin more. I wanted to sin on a bigger scale. That's who I was. That is how I lived my life. Okay? For me, it used to be, and I mean this, a literal physical rush when I would wallow in depravity. It was a rush to me to do the things that I did, which I'm not going to get into all the details. I loved it. I loved it. But when I came to faith in Christ, even though I, I had absolutely no idea what had transpired, I just knew that I needed, I needed a Savior. I needed Jesus Christ. I didn't know what transpired, okay? What God had done behind the scenes, kind of like what we're seeing here in our text, God's doing this behind the scenes. I didn't know all that, okay? 
But I did know for sure that God had changed me. I knew that. I've told Dave, I think, this before, but I used to actually, I would catch myself saying something or I would catch myself doing something that had come up. I mean, I would literally be like, did I just say that? Did I just do that? Really? Did I just recommend that? Because that was not who I was. It was not. I can just literally sit here and remember myself doing things or saying things. I'm going, wait a minute. That's, it's like somebody else. Literally. But I knew at that time that Jesus Christ had changed my life. I knew it at that moment. I didn't know anything about Christianity per se, theologically speaking, but I knew it's like, you know what? This is real. This is the real deal. I didn't just pray some prayer. I didn't just say, okay, gee whiz, I'm looking for fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. He, he had changed me on the inside, and I was beginning to notice it myself. I literally felt free that I did not have to live the way I used to. And trust me, I did it well. I sinned well. But you know what? I didn't want to. I didn't want to live that way. It wasn't just that I, that, that I wasn't doing that. I didn't want to. I found myself saying, you know what? I don't want to do this. The burden that was on me to thrive in sin was gone. I can't speak for everybody else, but I know how I lived. I know the depravity that I wallowed in. And I know what was transpiring inside. I didn't know it theologically, but I know I was a changed person. Now I can know, you know what? I died with Christ, and I was raised with Christ to a newness of life. I know that. That did not mean that I never failed God but it did mean that I didn't want to. I didn't thrive to. I didn't want to. Who Darren was just a few weeks earlier did not exist any longer. All right, let's keep going. We'll just do one more verse. Paul's not done quite yet. Look at verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, once again, put a line through the word if. We did die with Christ, didn't we? It's not an if, it's a since, right? It's true. So it's since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, as you have seen, folks, so far, Paul is speaking of what literally happened to Christ, his death and his resurrection, okay? And how spiritually speaking, we as believers in Christ are also united with him, okay? When Christ died physically, Paul connects that to us, right? And that our old self died with him. The old unregenerate self, what he calls the body of sin, has been buried. It has been done away with. Okay? It's been crucified with Christ, as Paul says. Therefore, to go with that, 
Verse 5 has already stated, when connected with Jesus' literal physical resurrection, that we are united with that as well. We didn't, we didn't just unite with him in his death, we united with him in his resurrection, right? As I stated then, remember I stated a few minutes ago, that it's connected to verse 4, when he's talking about us being raised to a new life. Jesus' physical resurrection, Paul says, corresponds with our new life in Christ. Why do I say all that? Because when you read verse 8 all by itself, it's, it, 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 it might make some of you want to jump to the future, right? Since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Right? If you just read that on your own, you can come up to your own conclusions, which is why we don't do that with this thing called context, right? But if you connect it with verses 9 through 11, let me read those. It says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. Listen, this is talking about Christ. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Listen, look at the first words there of verse 11. In the same way, now he's talking to the church, talking to us. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You read it all, you get a little better context. And so he's saying here in verse 8, since we died with Christ, we believe we will also live not just with him, but we will live with respect to him. Okay? Once again, I'll read from Kenneth Wiest in his Greek text. It says, We were imparted a new life, the moment of believing in Christ. We will live by means of him. The believer derives his spiritual life from Christ. What may be a reality in the future starts here now. See, you can also say, since we died with Christ, since you and I were imparted a new life, we are alive with Christ. And therefore, we are to live a, a sanctified life. We are to live a resurrected life. Or if you want to say, as he mentioned about Christ here at the end of verse 10, a life that is lived to God. We know that's for us too because I read it in verse 11. In the same way, you too. <laughs> See. And Paul isn't just, he's not just speaking of the life that Christ will live in eternity in the presence of God even though that is true for him, and that will be true for us one day. He's speaking of a life that is lived to God, one that is consistent with God's holiness, right? He lives to God, he says. So in closing, folks, as far as with dying with Christ, being crucified with Christ, having died to sin, all of that death, it's not necessarily a negative, right? 
having died with him and being united with him in his death also means we are participants in his life. He died, we died. He rose, we rose to a newness of life. Our life, he says, is to be like his. As you know, we are told to be holy as he is holy. As Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is what? Christ. You ever just think about that statement? To live, because he's corresponding with the other thought of if I die, it's not a bad thing either, I'll go to be with the Lord. But he says to live is Christ. That's an amazing statement. To live is Christ. May the Lord empower each and every one of us every day to live the sanctified life so when people see us, they will see him because we are united with him. He gave us a newness of life. We might be, as you've heard many times, not to be a cliche, we might be the only Christ people see. We might be it. So let him be seen through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, our time in your word today. We thank you, Lord, that all of these things happened certainly by your grace. It's your grace that allows us to be saved for it is by grace that we are saved through faith. It starts with grace. Lord, a lot of things happened when we came to faith in Christ. A lot of things, if you will, they were behind the scenes. There were things that, that you did. I, I think of 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, that we are baptized into the body of Christ. We are placed into your body, the body of Christ. We're now called the child of God and part of the church. But you, you caused us to be killed, if you will. Our old self was killed. He died because Christ died, and you identified us with him. But yet when he rose, we rose. We rose to a newness of life. You've changed us. You've transformed us. Well, we're not perfect. But God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, which you've given each and every one of us, we can live the sanctified life. You've, you've commanded us to, and you don't command us to do things that we can't do. But even though we will never arrive at that on this earth, we can certainly try. And so, Lord, as, as we look at texts like this, and I know sometimes they're, uh, they're used, the words are used, and it's maybe a little bit more difficult to understand. But, Lord, just help us to realize that we're no longer who we used to be. By your grace and your love, the death of Christ, we have been transformed in the image of Christ. And so, Lord, encourage us, motivate us, empower us to live that very life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.